it's like we, we're putting somebody into a game, but we don't tell them the rules. And if they win something, if they win this game, they don't know why they won it. And if they lose that game, they don't know why they lost it. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hi there, leaders. Welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Holmes, and today we're talking about a topic that a lot of us embrace in theory, but struggle with in reality, and that's getting feedback. And I've got an expert on feedback here with me today, Alexander Schwal. Alexander is co-founder and chief science officer of Rabbit Analytics, a company which DDI works with to provide continuous feedback to leaders on how they're actually practicing their skills in the workplace. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's dive right into the heart of this topic. A lot of us know we should ask for and take feedback from others. It's a really good idea. But just how essential is this for leadership? You know, a lot of us hold back a little bit when we're thinking about feedback, not really wanting to know the answer. So how much do we need to be making this a priority? I, I think it's it's absolutely critical for, for anybody, for any employee, but particularly for leaders. Leaders have a really complex job um, but, and, and, and feedback for them is probably more essential than, than for others. If, if, if you just think about what feedback is, feedback is a behavioral blueprint, basically. It tells you, if it's done right, it tells you what in my behavior is working and what in my behavior is not working. So leaders and basically all humans are what I would call natural scientists, right? So natural scientists, what I mean by that is we are all experimenting. We don't think about it much and we probably never notice it, but we are experimenting. We are trying something and if it's working, we're probably going to do it again. We do more of it. If it's not working, we are tinkering, we are tweaking, we are tuning that behavior. So just like an ex in, like, like a scientist, we're trying to run these little experiments, unbeknownst to us, right? But this is trial and error learning that we engage in. So the kicker is no learning happens if we don't know what the right outcomes are. So we need to know what is working, what is not working. So for a leader, let's say we put somebody into a leadership position, and this person doesn't receive feedback. This is what I would consider a um, like a cruel prank at at best. Maybe <laughs> maybe just maybe just cruel. It's like we, we're putting somebody into a game, but we don't tell them the rules. And if they win something, if they win this game, they don't know why they won it. And if they lose that game, they don't know why they lost it. So for leaders in their super complex roles, where they have to be cheerleaders and take care of emotional needs and get work done, of course, and deal with um, all kinds of issues that are coming their way, them not having feedback, I think, is, is just absolutely devastating and is a, an impediment to their learning and to their effectiveness. I love that science-based perspective on this of looking at it kind of as a like you said a behavioral blueprint of what you're doing i think for so many of us in our worlds we're very metrics driven when it comes to the non-people mm -hmm. aspect of you know if you're in marketing you're always looking at how are we doing based on leads and um you know impressions and how things have performed or if you're an engineer you you mm -hmm. get all that feedback and then all of a sudden when it comes to how you're doing at leading people it's like right. silence <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you just have to kind of make assumptions. You have to you have to guess. And um, we 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 work with a lot of engineers, and 
in the beginning, we thought engineers are maybe the people who are most resistant to the idea of feedback. But what we found out is they are actually the people who like it the most because what we are giving them, going back to this, to this blueprint idea, we're giving them a behavioral spec sheet, a data sheet of here is what good leadership looks like and here, is, here are the numbers, here's how you're doing on this. And that empowers them to work against that spec, right? To, to make sure, okay, am I doing enough of this? Um, is, is, is this meeting the needs of my, my employees? So they actually really embrace it and they really like it. And we were a little surprised, but this is, this is definitely one of the, the learnings we took away from this. I, I love that mindset and where you're going with that because one of the tough things about feedback, as I mentioned, you know, we know we need it, but we don't really want to hear the criticism. We don't really want to change that. It's, it's scary to think like somebody's going to tell me I'm doing something wrong and I take that really personally. Um, so as a leader, how do you get better about opening yourself up to feedback and being okay with the fact that people may say something you don't like? Yeah, we, we think about this a lot. Um, <laughs> we, we had conversations with users and we found a group of users who are like really into feedback. They're really digging mm -hmm. it. They're really loving it. They seek it out. They're curious. They want more and more and more feedback. And we had conversations with them. One thing that we've observed, and this is like a key learning for us, is that they are extremely good at stripping out and focusing only on the information in the feedback. And that, what I mean by that is what is working and what is not working. They filter out and they don't react to whatever approval or disapproval, like interpersonal stuff may be included. Mm -hmm. So they're just looking at the face value. You are not delegating enough things to me. I want to have more responsibility, whatever the case may be. This could go any direction. And they they soak that up. And, and I think this is where companies are in the responsibilities to shape and model a culture in which feedback is treated as a piece of information on what is working, what is not working, as opposed to as a inherent criticism or even praise. But usually we, we think about feedback like as this, as this sign of disapproval that there's something wrong with us. If I observe my boss or maybe even my boss's boss gracefully and with um, maybe some emotional detachment, uh, receive feedback and say, ah, oh, okay, that's interesting. You guys are telling me I'm not doing enough in this and that area. I can change that. If, if Once you observe that, how this is handled by your models, by the people that, that are in your organization, that, that shape the culture in your organization, um, you know, people will embrace this relatively, relatively quickly or more easily to say, okay, this is not this big airing of grievances that happens maybe once a year. This is yeah. about giving some information to, to help make things better. I, I think that's so great of, you know, not taking this personally as people like me or they don't like me mm -hmm. or that reaction, because that's your first, I think, personal reaction to it of, you know, mm -hmm. if somebody's saying I'm not delegating enough, it means, oh, you, you hate me. You don't, <laughs> you don't like me as a boss, but exactly. that separation, it seems like that really works for people to look at the behavior separate from how people are reacting to you as a person. It's it's not easy. Like people have to be grown ups about it. Like there's always <laughs> you, you you cannot design feedback completely sterile where it's just this information. We we certainly try and we get pretty close, but there's always this nagging doubt. Okay, 
is there something wrong with me? And, you know, people with maybe thinner skin can take it less, you know, well than, than other people with, with a little bit of thicker skin. But again, like if we set the context up to treat this really just as, as information, as honest information to make people better, that's like a key piece of information. We want to make people better. Um, then, then it's, it's consumed a little bit more easily. That's for sure. So the other part of this too, is not just that you're getting feedback in general, but who you're getting that feedback from. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, how do you start to think about the network of people who are giving you feedback? You know, mm -hmm. I'm sure your, you know, your boss is probably more than happy to give it to you yeah. in some cases, but who all do you need to be hearing from? Yeah. We, we tell our users to really not to overthink that. Include the people that you work with. Include anybody who is in your circle of people that you interact with on a regular basis. This could be five people, this could be 10 people. For some people, it's, it's, it's higher than that. But that is your audience. Those are the consumers, the recipients, your internal clients, so to speak, of your work. And they are qualified. Those are the people to provide feedback to you. These networks, as we call them, need to be updated. And we try to make it very easy to, to update them on the fly. But it is, it is important to not just rely on your manager or not just rely on your peers, but to have this, this broad um, set of people who can just experience you at work. So how often do we really need to be getting this feedback? In general, you know, we might be thinking about it on an annual basis in terms of like performance reviews or as I, you know, need to do my annual update or something like that, are most leaders getting good feedback on a regular basis? Yeah, uh, you mentioned the annual performance review. That's like, that's like the poison dart in the <laughs> feedback process. And, and I can tell you why. So first of all, leaders don't get feedback. There's oodles of survey data that just show people are not getting the feedback that we want. We sometimes believe that people don't want feedback. People absolutely want feedback. It's, it's absolutely a, a myth that people don't want feedback. They want the right feedback. So feedback needs to happen very often for, for two reasons. The first reason that's the most important reason is if feedback only happens once a year, the poison dart, right? The annual performance review, it has to be, it automatically is a high stake situation. So you have this mm. one chance once a year to get feedback or even worse, like you get a once in a lifetime chance, like a 360 uh, in your career way where you go through an assessment or a 360 and that is the feedback that you're receiving. So tremendously high stakes. If feedback happens all the time, it loses its threat. It becomes something that is usual and common and maybe even mundane. It's not noticed as much. So if you have continuous feedback, you are lowering the, you know, you don't have the sweaty palm situation. It's just, mm -hmm. okay, a little bit more, a little bit more data. So what, what I, I like the following metaphor. If a annual performance review is your report card that shows you how you did last semester or last school year, right? Like it, it's like, wow, this is really important, right? This is really critical. Mm -hmm. I think of feedback as a compass needle something that you have your compass compass with you in your hand wherever you go as a leader and you have this information with you and if it's continuous it tells you a little bit more like okay where do i need to correct course where not like where have i been wrong for a year but 
what are the things that I need to align a little bit more? That is the right way of feedback. So frequent feedback is better feedback because it is not like an all or nothing. And the second reason is we are all fallible to some degree. We are not machines. Like we have good weeks, bad weeks. Maybe there's a pandemic that is ruining um, <laughs> my, my, uh, my, my week or my months or, or even right. a longer time period. Maybe my kids are not well. Maybe I have a lot of stuff going on. So if we have feedback that only focuses on a point in time, a classic example is the 360, right? Mm -hmm. like if, I had, if I had a good three months, you know, everything looks great. If I had bad three months, it's, it's not reflective of my true performance, of my sustained real-world performance. This is why we like, like give people continuous feedback that allows them to to you know have this information on an ongoing basis and, and put on their you know scientist hats and try things out and, and run these little experiments in their lives so this i know this, this answer is getting a little long here but like i'm really passionate about the idea that feedback has to continue and that it cannot be a, a point in time type of situation that is such a great way to think about that though as how much less scary it is when it's continuous and Mm -hmm. And always kind of maintained versus like a, you know, big, big issue every once in a while and tied to your performance and tied to your compensation and all those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, I almost it's as you were describing it, it almost reminded me of like, you know, keeping on track of your budget or anything else you do mm -hmm. regularly. If you only <laughs> looked at your spending, you know, every six months or once a year, like, oh, gosh, would that be scary? But if you keep on top of it, not a problem at all. Right. Exactly. I mean, go back to your earlier point. Leaders are used to metrics. Like, let's say you're mm -hmm. a leader in finance. You know, they would it would be inconceivable to say I'm only getting the, my my P and L once a year. I want that metric all the time. Why wouldn't I want that same frequency um, of that metric for my for my own leadership? Why do I not want a dashboard um, type of information on my leadership on a regular basis? Absolutely. I and I think, too, then how you execute on that, of course, correcting a little bit over time, just like you would as a finance leader. You know, you had a bad month or you had a great yeah. month or something like that, that you're you're course correcting. You're not trying to radically change or you exactly. know, figure everything out at once. Exactly. Uh, and like, we have we have clients that have tremendous cyclicality in their in their year. So it's like around, you know, the holidays, December, you know, it's all hands on deck and it's, you know, <laughs> So, yeah, maybe your coaching as a leader suffers a little bit in November and December. That's maybe completely okay. That's totally acceptable. The question now is, what happens in January? What happens in February when things calm down a little bit? So, again, we are not machines. We cannot sustain performance always at, at peak level. And, and you know, that's, un that's unreasonable and unfair to leaders. But what we do want to see is, if there is fluctuation, if there are inconsistencies, can we tell a bigger, like a more informative story? Is there a narrative around this that helps us all understand what is actually going on um, with this leader and the leadership behavior? So one of the things you also said, Alex, earlier was that, you know, not only are leaders often afraid to receive feedback, but a lot of times we're afraid to give feedback. You know, we think people don't want it. Um, yeah. when they really do. So how do you create an environment that people 
are willing to give you feedback and and it's not just like everyone's like well i'd love to tell him but yeah. he's not gonna react well so forget it yeah oh man I, it's that is that is maybe the the the, the big question like the, the the key question how can we make it a um unusual and common event uh, a, a usual and a common event that people are giving each other feedback so people don't like to give feedback they don't have time and, and whatnot and they don't really know how to but but that, that could all be fixed easily the biggest one that is the hard one is people don't want to hurt others others feelings we don't want to get emotionally involved like we as humans are not solitary animals we are tribe animals like evolutionarily we have to get along with others in order to survive right that's like i'm, I'm giving you like a really big picture obviously <laughs> but at, at work the same things are true we are trained we are socialized and we are set up to get along with others and when we give people negative feedback we erode that relationship with others which is only true if we subscribe to the idea that feedback is about approval and disapproval and not, and this is key, about what is working and what is not working. So here's the thing that, that kills me, basically. Being this tribe animal, we're really good at observing behaviors. We have to understand, we have to read others, we have to get an idea of who is doing what at the moment. So we're very good detectors. We like seismographs of other people's emotions and behaviors. But we're really bad at giving feedback. So we're good at recording, but we're terrible at reporting. So the reporting process of the feedback is what we do very poorly because we don't want to erode these relationships. And this is where good feedback programs solve the fundamental problem. They make it easy to report feedback back to the individual. So we see a lot of HRIS uh, tools where you can flip a switch and then people have a text box and they can you know, request feedback and give somebody feedback. This never works. I've never seen this done successfully because <laughs> people don't want to erode that relationship. They, they're bad at reporting, especially typing something up. But if you give them the tools, to make the reporting of the feedback, the giving of the feedback very easy based on their um, observations, then you have a winner and then people actually overcome this reluctance to provide feedback. So we, ha we have to make it very easy and psychologically safe for the individual to give that feedback um, to, to their leaders in particular. So when you say um, making it psychologically safe, I think that's one of the important things, you know, <laughs> One of the, the people who are most probably afraid to give feedback are direct reports yeah. to their bosses because yeah. they're like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna say this. And even if they say it's anonymous, they're yeah. going to know it's yeah. me. And then my boss is going to hate me and I'm never yeah. going to get, you know, so there's a lot of risk for oh, absolutely. an employee to give feedback to their boss. So when you bring up psychological safety, what can you do as the leader to kind of communicate to your team that like, this is okay, you know, yeah. this is, I'm, I, I can take it. This is not going to affect your, how I feel about you or anything like that. Yeah, so the, the, the key thing is to make it anonymous. And this usually means you can't have written feedback. Written feedback, you know, how people talk and what kind of, you know, words they use and what kind of style. So even if they cannot, the author of whatever is written will believe that this is not anonymous. So they will self-censor. So the, the information provided is basically garbage because you can't be honest because you're worried about retaliation to your point. 
The second thing that, that I think is absolutely critical goes back to continuous feedback. So let me, let me contrast two extremes, right? So the first scenario is the traditional 360. Happens once, people give feedback, they have no experience with that, they will self-censor because they probably don't know if anybody can, how their, how their manager, how their boss will react to whatever negative information they're receiving. This is typically why we see pretty positive results in 360s, although we know that people are not that good. If you do this continuously, and that's the, on the other end of the spectrum, people will maybe give more negative feedback, you know, once, twice, and when they see that nothing negative happens, that their manager will, will receive this um, anonymously and that there's no retaliation, they will start getting more and more comfortable. So the continuous feedback has a really important byproduct, and that is it normalizes feedback for the recipient, but maybe more importantly, it normalizes the process of giving feedback. It's not a big deal. My boss will not rip my head off. My boss will not get a temper tantrum or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. people may be afraid of. It's going to be like, okay, I'm giving this and maybe nothing is happening in my relationship with this individual if it is continuous, normal, as I called it, mundane and, and, and completely usual and common. So that is, that is the key thing. If you build an environment in which feedback is given once a year and you expect, this is ludicrous, like just hearing myself say this, you expect your direct reports to be honest in this one-time opportunity to give you feedback, I can tell you out of the gate, this data will be very, very restricted in terms of its variance. People will be very positive because they cannot take the risk because they don't have experience with this. Um, mm -hmm. they, they will not know what the repercussions are. So if, it, it's, it's almost like if you want to design people to self, if you want to design a system that forces people to self-censor, you do it point in time rarely. Um, and this will ensure that they are you know, self-censoring. So what I'm hearing is that as a leader, the better you do this and the more regularly you get feedback from folks, expect it to kind of maybe go down a little bit after the first um, couple of times mm -hmm. or something like that. Like people are going to initially give you great feedback and then as they get yeah. more comfortable and more candid, oh. it's going to go down. But don't be alarmed by that, right? Yeah, and then that's, that's, a, that's a honeymoon phase, right? With the system, with the feedback process, people are saying, oh, let's test the waters a little bit okay, nothing bad happens, I can be a little bit more honest. Feedback scores may be dropping, maybe not for everybody, but you know, if there are things that a leader can improve on, this, this, will, this will drop. And that is the true baseline, right? Now you have a baseline and now you have something to work against. So feedback on day one is probably going to be pretty you know, positive, just like a 360, but then it kind of burns in and you get, um, you, you get a more uh, correct value. And that's that's where the value is. I love that mindset shift from it's not that you're getting worse, it's that you're getting better at building trust so that they're yes, they're getting more candid with you. So Precisely. as you get and leverage that that candid feedback, you're really getting to the meat of like, here's what I need to do better. Here's what people are looking for from me. How can leaders really use that to amplify their own learning, change what they're doing on the job? We, we see among our users like a broad variety, but it, at, at the very heart is 
putting people into the driver's seat of their own development, making sure that they are empowered to make informed decisions, having these metrics, being able to be that natural scientist, that 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 um, scientist who can understand what is working, what is not working. As soon as that kicks in, we see some people just using the data and tweaking their behaviors. Oh, my team tells me I'm not communicating enough with them about what's going on in the company. I can easily fix that. I will just do more of that. Let's have a team meeting. So those are those are easy things that managers can do. Much of leadership is actually not that hard. You just need to know and remember that you that you have to do it. On the other end of the spectrum, we see leaders who are saying, oh, it looks like coaching is something that I don't do well or delegating or whatever important leadership uh, behavior is is um, is they're receiving feedback on. And now they can reach out and ask for support. The, the kicker is here when they're sitting in that coaching seminar, when they're sitting in that in that um, training session on that's the coaching. They will be motivated in a very different way than somebody who has just been assigned to do that. Oh, I think coaching would be good for you. Please do a coaching um, mm-hmm. session. For them, this now is a a a way for them to engineer to to tinker their way out of this out of the situation. So the motivation is an entirely different one when you understand that this is potentially a a, a weakness or something that is not working in your leadership. Yeah. So so you start to understand. You know, this is something that I'm not doing well, and I really need to get better for my for my job. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last question I'll ask you is one that I ask everyone on the show, but I think it's so interesting when it comes to, especially around feedback, um, as we're observing others, you know, all the time and their leadership skills. There's there's something when we've all been led, you know, that that leads you to say, oh, that's exactly what I want to do as a leader, um, and it inspires you versus mm-hmm. or a really bad experience that you observe and you say, this is I will never do that. So can you tell me about a moment of leadership that had an impact on your life for for good or for bad yeah i i, I gotta give you one where i was on the receiving end of feedback on the receiving end of good leadership mm-hmm. um the, the the situation was i was brand new out of grad school um and i think it was one of my first client gigs so i was there with a senior consultant i was a junior consultant with a senior consultant visiting a client i was brought in because i had a organizational psychology background and they wanted to talk about maybe a few more technical issues and I gave them my opinion I presented I summarized what I thought would would, would be is the situation but I was very vague right I like I kind of presented pros and cons and I didn't really give them a clear solution of what they should be doing they wanted a recommendation I basically told them how complex the situation was and I probably used words that I you know it was ingrained in me from grad school <laughs> to just you know explore the entire complexity of everything right mm-hmm. on the drive home from that client this this consultant I thought this meeting went well like super good you know I thought it was <laughs> perfect um, on the drive back the consultant gave me like a lot of feedback on how what I did was not working she kind of helped me understand this and, and, the, and the content of the feedback doesn't matter but the fact that a person took the time to sit down with me and like give me this information at all was I think absolutely critical for me without that I would have just you know 
kept doing the same nonsense all over again, again and again, with clients thinking that I sound super smart and that what I'm that I'm what I'm doing is like kind of helpful, which it was not. So getting that feedback from from her was just absolutely critical, like set me up for success as a, as a consultant. Oh, that's such a great story. I think to end on as you know, how how much feedback can change the course of a career. If no one ever tells you what you're doing is yeah. wrong or not helpful, you never end up knowing. Exactly, it's the cruel prank, right? Like how yeah. how how can you get better if you don't know that you you know not doing so well? Well, thank you so much, Alex. This was incredibly valuable. We appreciate you here on the Leadership 480 podcast. And thank you to our listeners who took part of their 480 minutes to be with us today. And remember to make every moment of leadership count.